This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Hey folks, welcome to the Tridot Podcast. Drop your cassette into your easiest gear and get ready to climb. Today, two of our Tridot coaches will be chatting with us about handling the hills in our training and racing. Our first guest joining us today for this conversation is triathlon legend and Tridot coach Mark Allen. Mark is the most successful triathlete of all time, having won the Ironman Triathlon World Championship six times the Nice International Triathlon 10 times, and the first recognized Olympic Distance Triathlon Championship. He went undefeated in 21 straight races for an astounding two-year winning streak from late 1988 to 1990. He's been inducted into the Halls of Fame for Ironman, USA Triathlon, and the International Triathlon Union. ESPN named Mark as the greatest endurance athlete of all time mark uh you're you're a frequent uh guest on the try podcast now welcome back to the show <laughs> hey great to be back i'm always excited to share what little tidbits we can dig out of my uh archives and, and share with <laughs> I, i'm trusting for today there's going to be plenty of tidbits and stories from you uh, uh particularly that part in your bio where you've won the nice uh triathlon 10 times i know there's some hills in nice so yeah and i, I have to say i, I love I love training and racing on hills. There were parts that intimidated me, like probably everybody, but um, yeah, I can't wait to talk about them. All right, perfect. Also joining us today is the Ultraman himself, Tridot coach Jason Verbracken. Jason lives in San Diego, California, where he works as a Pepsi sales rep in addition to coaching Tridot athletes. He has been racing tries for seven years, racking up nine Ironman, one Ultraman, and six extreme triathlon finish lines in that time. Uh, he's best known around the Tridot space as Coach Verby. So Coach Verby, welcome back to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks a lot. I mean, my resume can't compare to the guy next <laughs> to me, but I hope to elevate this conversation as much as I can. Mm. You elevated us with that pun already, so I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set conversation, and then wind things down with our cooldown. Before we get too deep into the show today, I want to give a shout-out to our good friends at UCAN. Here at TriDot, we are huge believers in using UCAN to fuel our training and racing. In the crowded field of nutrition companies, what separates UCAN from the pack is the science behind Live Steady, the key ingredient in UCAN products. While most energy powders are filled with sugar or stimulants that cause a spike and crash, UCAN energy powders powered by Live Steady deliver a steady release of complex carbs to give you stable blood sugar and provide long-lasting energy. I personally fuel many of my workouts with the orange-flavored edge gel, but between their energy mix, energy bars, almond butter, and more, there is definitely a Live Steady product that you will love. So head to their website, youcan.co, and use the code TRIDOT to save 20% on your entire order. Once again, that's youcan.co, promo code TRIDOT. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. In triathlon events, we, of course, are given a bib number. It can be anything from a single-digit number all the way up to a four-digit number. Some marathons, I think, even go all the way up to five-digit numbers. Uh, and for the most part, we have zero control over what our bib number turns out to be on race day. But what if we could control our number? What if triathlon required us as participants to wear a number on our jerseys, uh, much like a team sport does, if that was the case, what number would you want to have on your tri kit and why? Coach Verby, what do you think? Uh, for me, that's pretty easy. The number 28. And okay. well, my birthday is the 28th. I met my wife. Our very first date was on the 28th. We got married on the 28th. 
somehow the number 28 is always intertwined somewhere in my life. And maybe it's just because I look for it now, but the number 28 somehow is always in there. So that would be my go-to number. Yeah. To have that on a tri Jersey would be an homage to uh, a lot of things in your life. So I, I like it. I get it. Uh, do you have a favorite pro pro athlete with the number 28 on their Jersey by any chance? No, I don't. Not at all. That's okay. just, that's my number. So yeah, me, how's that? Me. If I had I, my I like it. I dig it. I like the confidence there. Uh, Mark Allen, uh, back when you were racing or if you were to hit the race course ever again, if you could pick what number was going to be on that beautiful tri-kit of yours, what number would you be going with? Oh, that is a simple one. I would just pick my pin code for all of my credit cards. And <laughs> and hide your biggest secrets in plain sight. Nobody will see them. <laughs> no, actually, I have to say one of the coolest numbers I ever got was in 1989 at the ITU World Championship. Um, okay. Uh, it was number 007. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I figured that was pretty cool to have, uh, you know, to be have James Bond on my chest as I was uh, having to come from way behind after the swim and still behind at the end of the bike and pull off that victory at the first ITU World Championship there in Avignon, France. So um, that was that was a cool number. I mean, one or a zero, zero, one, you know, that's fun. But I kind of like that 007 number. That was great. I kind of expected you to go with the the, the one because obviously in, in the pro field, you're, you're kind of seated based on your, your current ranking and, and how you're expected to do on the day. And and I, I did not expect a 007 from you, but that is super, super cool. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I asked this question on this podcast episode just for that reason right there, just to find that one out. Um, for me, I, this is pretty simple. Um, I'm going with the number 13. Uh, I, I wore the number 13 in team sports growing up. I, I, I was... Pretty good at tennis where you didn't wear numbers, but I was I was ah, mediocre at soccer where you did have a number. And so growing up playing soccer, uh, I, I was always number 13. I loved uh, I, and still love the Miami Dolphins in the NFL. And so Dan Marino uh, it was was kind of the, the, the favorite athlete for me as a kid growing up. Uh, the, the longtime quarterback of the Dolphins made the number 13 famous for that team. Um, so that's this answer for me. Uh, guys, we're going to throw this question out to you, our audience. Uh, I'm curious to see what you have to say and, and what number you hold near and dear to your heart. If you could put a try a number on your tri jersey for race day and you were in control of what that number was, what number would you be going with and why? Let us know. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. Triathletes and cyclists love talking about their bikes, and I am no exception. I am so impressed by the quality of my Diamond Marquee. Every detail has been carefully engineered and crafted by the team at Diamond Bikes. Many of our coaches have switched to riding a Diamond bike. Their bikes are industry-leading aerodynamic machines, and they look awesome. But even beyond that, Diamond as a brand knows how to take care of their athletes. And with five different tri-bike models, as well as road, gravel, and mountain bikes, your next bike should absolutely be a Diamond. Tridot and Diamond are a dynamite race day one-two punch. Diamond provides you with the Ferrari of bikes, and Tridot Training develops your engine. So we are excited to partner with Diamond on some really cool offers. If you are new to Tridot, we are offering six months of the Mark Allen edition of Tridot with the purchase of a Diamond bike. If you are already a Tridot athlete, we are offering either an upgrade credit or Tridot store credit with your new bike. So head to diamondbikes.com for all the info and to dream up your very own bike. Just like in life, most terrain has its ups and has its downs. And there are certainly some coaching points that can help us navigate both. Whether it's nailing your intervals while you run up and downhill, or whether it's maximizing your wattage, climbing and descending on a bike, there is a lot to consider as we talk about hills in triathlon. So let's get into it with our coaches today. Now, Mark, Jason, you both were, were handpicked by myself for this episode because you each have had a fair amount of success on hilly terrain. And I just want to kind of give folks a glimpse of your hilly course successes uh, so they know they can trust what you have to say as we navigate this conversation. Mark, you frequently trained in the hills of California, and, and some of your most famous victories, as I alluded to earlier, um, came in undulating terrain uh, around Nice, France. Do you consider Nice to be the most challenging terrain you had success on, or, or were there some other courses along the way where hills played more of a factor for you? 
Um, well, Nice was very hilly on the bike for sure. You know, we had just these classic European style uh, small road climbs through little villages and, you know, with maybe 100 people in the village. And so it was such a an amazing scenic climbing sort of environment. The descents were very, very technical. You know, it was it was almost uh, they were so uh, steep and like these 180 degree turns that you really actually could not go super fast. Very different than, let's say, the descents that you get like in Colorado, where these they're just these long, massive, sweeping things where you've got to have nerves of steel because you're you're going 55 Oof. miles an hour. <laughs> um, but I I would say actually the, the most physically demanding course that I ever did was the Zofingen Duathlon in in Switzerland. And that was because the bike course was three loops of a very, very, very hilly bike. The run actually it was a, a 5K uh, first run and then a, a whatever the K, about 32K finish uh, for the second run. The first 5K was literally straight up a turn and then straight down. And, and you know, you did these two loops like this. And uh, we started out and it was literally you thought you were in a 5k not a race that was going to last six hours and first time i did the event i thought i had done the preparation for the hills right both for the bike and the run because then that second run is also not flat but not straight up and down like the first one okay i thought i had it i thought i was ready and i ended up in fourth place and the guy who was in third place was like 42 or something like that which at the time i thought the guy was geriatric and i thought how can this <laughs> 42 year old dude, <laughs> my ass, you know? And so I ended up, uh, that was actually really where I honed sort of my template of how do you prepare for a hilly course, cycling? Oh, uh, yeah. And, you know, I can go into some of those general template details of how to choose the terrain and the distance and the length and all that kind of stuff. But that, for sure, the Zofingen Duathlon was by far the most physically demanding course that I ever did in my career, much more physically demanding than Kona or even Nice. Yeah. I mean, you, you just say the word Switzerland and already it was like, oh yeah, if you've raced in Switzerland, uh, my understanding is that's all Switzerland is, is, is up and down, uh, <laughs> no matter where you go. Uh, I, I know Daniela Reef, uh, I follow her on Instagram and she, she's always just posting these amazing pictures of these gravel rides she's doing and, and these bike rides and, and these runs where she's just going up and down and just beautiful views everywhere uh we don't have those in dallas texas i can tell you that right now so uh i, I live vicariously through daniela in that regard um jason for you um i i cannot even quantify the, the hills that you've climbed as you've raced all over the world doing ultra doing extreme stuff um i'll, I'll leave that math to strava on how many meters you've ascended uh, in your swim bike and running but uh I, I mean, you you've climbed literal mountains in norway iceland nepal all while racing tries um, what, what one hill I, I'm curious from all the extreme triathlons you've done, what one mountain, I guess, uh, gave you the biggest challenge mid race? Um, I would have to say my Nepal race, uh, that had the, okay. and I can't narrow it, the bike slash the run. I mean, they were both, the bike had 13,000 feet of gain on it. It wasn't anything. <laughs> it didn't have the technical descents. Like Mark was just talking about the, but it had some sections of road that were just happened to be missing, um, you know. So it turned into Fun. kind of dirt gravel, and then the driving over there, they just drive any way they want. So that we had to watch out for that. Um, but then the run had ten thousand feet of gain for the run, and it literally sounded like Mark's. It was sixteen miles straight up. And then you came back down and it literally was stairs slash rock. And you were more, I felt like I was on just climbing stairs the whole time. And, but you had the Annapurna mountains in the background with the, the fishtail um, peak at 26,000 feet was the backdrop. So, I mean, every time you were suffering, you just had to take that quick look around and go, oh my gosh, look at the scenery. How can I complain about this? No matter how bad it hurt, you got that view, which was, I'll never forget. Yeah, no kidding. So, so when I tell you both that the most I've climbed in a race was 70.3 Greece, the bike course had about 4,000 feet, not meters, 4,000 feet of gain on the bike course. 
And I just, it, it just brutally just beat me to shreds. I was not prepared for that. Uh, you, you would think as light as I am, I'd be a good climber. I am not a good climber. Uh, so this is why I went out and found the two of you to come on this episode to teach us how to climb. So let's get into it. Uh, as we turn the conversation from hills once climbed to hills we have yet to climb, uh, we'll start by talking about training on hilly terrain. And a little bit later, we'll get into racing on hilly terrain. Um, so first, let, let me ask you guys this. I often hear athletes categorize themselves as good at climbing uh, or like I just did, I, I don't feel like I am, I'm not good at climbing. Uh, and some people will say, ah, I'm okay at it, whatever. I'm okay at climbing. In your experience working with your athletes, are, are some folks just naturally better suited to handling hills than others? Or, or is this kind of a, a self-induced stigma that we place upon ourselves? Mark, from your experience, what do you think here? I, I think you're just a, a, a climber who hasn't had that diamond shined yet or ch chiseled away. Okay. Revealed I like that. Reveal yeah. the, the grimper that's inside of you, the climber that's inside of you. It's um, for sure, you know, any aspect of uh, the a sport like cycling that is uniquely characterized is going to, there's going to be a genetic type that sort of tends to excel easier on that than somebody else. So somebody, as we, as you know, like in the Tour de France, those who are great climbers are not always the ones who are great time trialists and those who are, sprinting at the end of the flat stages are probably not going to be the best climbers, but for sure you can optimize whatever genetic toolbox you have, whatever body type you have, whatever kind of levers that you have through, through proper training. And, you know, one, one of the things that, that I learned from that sort of two year experience uh, at Zoffingen was, and I, I forgot to mention, I think that the second time I did it, I ended up winning, which was pretty cool, you know, to, see to see nice what, yes i think i was ready and see that i wasn't and then to go back and and reset and regroup and, and change what needed to and then come back and win and um so you know there's if if you have the option and i'll start with those of you who have the option to train somewhere hilly if you have a hilly course that you're going to be training on there's there's two elements that will get you prepared one is to um, if you can try to find climbs that are going to be longer than the one that you will encounter in the race, the ones that you will encounter in the race, and or find climbs that are steeper than the ones that you will find in the race. And so what that does is it sort of it resets your body's measure of what you're capable of doing. So let's say, you know, there's a let's say a mile climb that's cl classic or a two mile climb in some event you're going to do. If where you live, you can find a three or four or five mile climb, do that. That over distance in that, in, in the length of the climb will get you prepared for that climb that's going to be shorter in the race. If you, at, let's say it's at a, some grade, you know, 6%, 7%, doesn't matter. If you can find a climb, even if it's a lot shorter, that's a lot steeper and you and you do that over and over, you will develop a more strength than you need to make it up that less inclined climb in your race. And so adding those two sort of over elements, when you put those together in the race, then it takes those climbs that in, in the event and makes them so much more manageable. And, and you learn experience too, like how hard can I go on a, on a really long climb before I blow up? How hard can I go when I, it's short, but I'm really, really pushing high at power output before I blow up? And so you, you gain experience, you gain fitness, and it prepares you. Yeah, I know, I know in some podcast episodes, we've talked with uh, our, our out coaches about how you don't have to go run 26.2 miles to know you can do the marathon at the end of an Ironman. You don't have to go ride 112 miles to, to feel confident you can finish that bike split of that Ironman. Uh, that, that, that just, it, 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 it just kills you in training and you, you don't need to go put that mileage on your body, but it, it could help you significantly to know that, okay, if there's one hill, that's the hardest hill on my race course okay, get out there and find a hill that's harder. And, and that way you go into race day with the confidence of not only have I done that hill, I've done a hill that's harder. That, I, I really like that, Mark. That's great stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit more. I, I, I have some follow-up questions I want to ask. I'm going to save them for, for when we get a little deeper into the main set here. Uh, Jason, for you, as you work with your athletes uh, and, and you hear them talk about, ah, Coach Coach Verby, I'm not good at hills, I'm not good at climbing. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts here? On, on, are some people better at this than others or, or, or what? 
I feel that some people are better on it, and usually it's because they're that's all they have around them. So they're out there every day. They have no other choice but to run. You know, they may take off from their house and leaving their house, there may be a big hill they have to go up, or when they're on their way back home, they have to go back up it. So they're just used to kind of always doing it. I feel like I feel you definitely can learn them. Um, you know, I never hear somebody coming to me and say, "Man, I'm no good on flat concrete riding my bike." I, I <laughs> never have had somebody say that to me or, you know, I mean, I have people flat out told me, yeah, my run sucks, <laughs> but they, I've never heard say, I can't run on flat ground. It's always all oh, the hills running downhill hurts or, you know, the, I can't do the uphills. So I really feel the, the more you get to doing it, just like anything, the more it gets comfortable. And once you get comfortable doing it, you feel good at it and you enjoy it. Maybe I just need to come uh, come spend a summer with uh, with Coach Furby or, or or Coach Mark Allen and and uh, ride the hills around your house because I, I we we have we have some light rollers in Dallas but it's rolling at best it's certainly not anything I would categorize as, as a true hill or a true mountain so uh, the the most frequently asked question that that I see come up when it comes to training on hills and I see this probably once a week on the I am Trotter Facebook group somebody is asking I, mean, I two days ago. I saw an athlete ask a version of this question, and it applies on both the bike and the run. And athletes, they, they want to know when a workout gives us intervals. So, so we're supposed to be at zone two for X amount of time, and then we've got seven-minute intervals, five-minute intervals, 14-minute intervals where we're dipping up into zone four, zone five. Uh, and so we're supposed to be pushing a certain power. We're supposed to be pushing a certain pace. How can we best stay at the proper intensity when the terrain may make it difficult to do so. Mark, what do you think? Well, that's why we have gears. Hey! <laughs> you know, and it, it, it's an over, it sounds like an oversimplified answer, but that's really the solution. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of aerobic training, uh, and I, but I would still ride hills. And so to keep things aerobic it, during the workouts that were prescribed to be aerobic, I had to have a pretty easy gear on there so that I wasn't pushing too hard. You know, the, the, the one plus that I love about Hills is that actually it makes it easy to have a high power output or, or a high heart rate. You know, you, the gravity does all the work for you. You know, on the flat, it's much harder to, for me anyway, to generate power to elevate my heart rate. But on a hill, basically you just start going up and everything falls in place if it's a harder workout. So, you know, Yes, the, the challenge is to not go too hard on, on the hills. But that's also, that's, a learn, that's something that is a really valuable skill to learn how to do, to not go too hard on the hill. Because when you are in a race, you also want to go fast without going too hard. And so having yeah. just, just having the right gearing is, is really the only way to do it. And of course, you know, <clears throat> the second sort of piece to that is, when you're approaching a hill, um, whether it's for an interval or you're just going to do a climb that's steady, sort of let your 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 heart rate drop a little bit before you get to the to the hill. Like the tendency is to, you know, plow into that climb and, and yeah, hold on absolutely. to the pace or the power that's what I the do. <laughs> that you're doing until all of a sudden you're starting to blow up and things things are getting too hard. Well, when you're on a hill and you've gone too hard, it's nearly impossible to drop it back down easy enough to really recover well. And so, you know, my rule of thumb is always to go into it with easy, easier than you know you're going to be climbing at, and then slowly build into your whatever your climbing pace or power or heart rate is going to be. And then if you start to go a little bit over over the edge, you just drop it back a little bit and everything stays kind of within a steady, steady controlled state. But when you, you know, you're hammering up that first part thinking, I'm going to use this momentum to get over this 10 mile climb. <laughs> well, no, you're not, you know, um, that's when it's harder to recover. I, I imagine too, Mark, with what you're saying, like I, I can just picture And again, where, where I live, it is, it is not remotely hilly enough at all to probably do this, but I imagine for a lot of athletes, if, if they know there's a certain hill on their route or near that route, I mean, you, you can probably try to even time it to where the, the harder intervals in, in your workout are done going up that hill where gravity pulling against you is going to help you increase your wattage and then re recover, you know, turning around and going back down that, that, that downhill. And on the bike, that's using your gears on the run. That's just kind of easing up the pace and increasing the pace going downhill. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm wondering this as, co as coaches, uh, as well, because th there are, 
there's all sorts of different patterns of intervals, there's different types of workouts we have within our training week with TriDot. Um, so, so as coaches, I mean, do, do you feel like if somebody lives somewhere truly hilly where, where it's difficult to, to, to navigate a certain workout in a certain terrain, uh, are, are there certain sessions that you find just are best done on something like a track or a treadmill or, or even a bike trainer to avoid terrain? Uh, or is it just good for us to get out there into the wild and, and power through those up and downs, uh, even if it means that we might not get uh, uh, the, the highest training score possible? Uh, Coach Furby, what do you think? I think the only one that really matters is your assessments. I would say are, you know, if you okay. can find a flat place for the assessment to get a really true gauge. But I mean, again, we're lucky we got TriDot can take into all that consideration. It reads your, it reads how much elevation you had. So it takes it into consideration. Um, you know, and the best thing I, if my athletes don't have any flat ground around them or anything, I always just say, try to, you know, for the assessments, making sure you're use, using the same place every time for your bike. If they don't have the, you know, the trainer or for the run, make sure you're always kind of riding that same that same pathway or whatever you're going to be on. But otherwise I always say, go for it. Got to, got to get out there. And, and that's when you learn the best, just trying those, you know, trying a different workout on this steep terrain or, you know, it's really downhill and just trying to get, get it figured out. That's going to help you learn. Cause you're never going to be able to, if you start traveling for races, you're not going to be able to ride those courses beforehand. Um, you might just be showing up that day of, so knowing how to use your gears and, you know, being able to adapt to that other terrain, it's going to help out. Yeah. I know for me, for me personally. And, and so that, that's, that's a great thought about definitely making sure your assessments every single uh, month are done somewhere consistent, done somewhere where you're in control of, of your pace on flat terrain, if possible. Uh, I, I know for me, I even like taking some of those run workouts uh, that have a lot of zone five in particular, if it's math shuttles where I'm sprinting or if it's a, a zone five interval workout where I'm, I mean, for me, my zone five is, is under six minute miles. Like I, I like being on a track just to be able to get my feet spinning at a predictable cadence at that speed. Uh, but that, but that's just me. And that's just on the, the really, really speedy run stuff. Uh, coach Mark for you working with your athletes, are, are there certain sessions you like to see done in a more controlled environment or are, are you kind of like Jason you're, you're you just like to see your athletes get out there and uh, challenge themselves with the terrain I think it's good to mix it up you know there's triathlon is a part, partially a speed sport but also an endurance and strength sport and there's nothing like um, riding or running in hills to uh, that to give you added strength even if you're going easy you are you're really working your muscles. You're engaging more muscle. You have more muscle recruitment because there's very little floating that goes on. You know, if you're on the flat, uh, you know, cycling or running, you can kind of float. But when you're going up a hill, even if your heart rate is low, you are engaging a lot more muscle group to, you know, keep that keep the momentum going. Otherwise, you stop, right? And so, yeah, that's so true. So I like to I like to have people sort of mix it up. So let's say you've got um, let's say you do have a hilly race coming up, whether it's cycling and or running course that's going to have that. Um, I like people to do some of the, the faster workouts on a very flat terrain, because that way you, you really do get the leg turnover. You get that, you know, generating Watts when you're in the aero position, kind of, uh, muscle patterning going, and it's really valuable to get that. And then to, on some other days, if you have hills or if you are on a trainer you can just put it in a bigger gear and sit upright like you're climbing or on a treadmill elevate it um, do some of those faster sessions on uh you know elevated or you know uh, climbing terrain and it uh, that's what i did you know i would do i would do very controlled um let's say quarters and thousands and stuff like that on the track but then i would do fartlek workouts on rolling or, or hilly terrain for both cycling okay. and running great way to just get this real overall sort of balance of of fitness that will serve you really well because there really are very few courses that are absolutely dead flat or just climbing you know half the entire race so 
Yeah, you, you guys are really encouraging me to uh, to do, do less of the track and do more around town in my own in my own workouts. Just listening to this, so um, th- thank you for that. Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, running form when it comes to our hills. And Mark, you touched on that just just a little bit. With uh, I've never considered just on flat terrain in your run cadence the ability for the legs to just float a little bit with every single stride. Whereas going up and downhill, you don't necessarily have that. Um, so so I see some athletes around town and, and they just look like they glide up and down any certain grade or any certain hill. Uh, and if I, if I look that way, I certainly don't feel that way when I'm running up and down a hill. Uh, is there anything Mark that, that we need to be doing in our technique to more smoothly run up and down hills? Well, one thing that I like to try to do is on, on the uphills, not let my cadence rate drop too much. You know, the natural tendency is to kind of slow down and you get into almost like slogging feel. Um, but I, yeah. tr- I, I would try to just short, you know, really shorten my stride up and, and try to keep a, you know, a relatively good cadence rate going, even when I was, when I was going uphill, both cycling and running. Um, and then on, you know, on downhill cycling, obviously you, a lot of times you're even gliding, but on when you're running, try, I, I always tried to, um, really have that sensation like I was I was floating I guess you'd say as opposed to pounding and you know it's it takes practice I wouldn't say that I uh, that I'm an expert on downhill running there are guys who are much faster than I am on downhills that's just sort of like you have that ability to really turn your legs over really really fast and so you can take advantage of that downhill gravity I don't have that much fast twitch so I I couldn't I couldn't get my turner over fast enough to take advantage of that sort of float. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that those are those are kind of what my tips would be for people. Just focus on that cadence no, yeah. on the uphill. Yeah, great notes there in the uphill. I, I know for me in the downhill, I, I I wouldn't say I'm great at running downhill. I'm not bad at running downhill, but I'm not great at it. I, I always try to have a mentality of of the faster I can get my legs turning, it, it's just free speed. It, it's just free speed, letting gravity do the work and pull you downhill. Uh, Co- Coach Jason, are you uh, are you a pretty good downhill runner? Uh, I'm okay. I feel like I'm pretty good. Okay, I'm not not too shabby. What uh, fr- from your experience running up and down mountains, uh, what what technique do you like to see in your athletes uh, as you coach them on running up and down hills? I know for me, when I'm going uphill. Um, you know, there's a lot of times there's a tendency to lean too far forward and it kind of, it closes off that hip. It kind of the motion for your hips, it kind of tightens that up. So I try to, for me, I try to, one, I do what Mark said, keep my cadence going. I really try to stand more tall and, you know, get my leg, um, fully extended back when I'm and drive with my hips as I'm going up. And just keeping that cadence, almost a quick climb up the hill is how I try to, when I go up the hill. And then when I go down, you know, sometimes we have a tendency to lean back a little bit and we almost are, we're changing our foot strike and we're kind of driving down with our heel and that's almost slowing us down. Um, So I just try to lean for, you know, my, my thought is lean and go. I just try to lean and go and lean and go. Yeah. Lean and go and let that gravity gravity help out that you know that that is such a good point on the downhill it also um causes a lot more um pounding on your legs and so you get muscle breakdown when you hit that when you have that heel striking when you're putting on the brakes by your heel hitting the ground first on those downhills so that that's one of the best things uh, as, as jason said to try to keep that lean a little bit forward so that you're you're not having the heel being your braking mechanism on a downhill just just what did you say lean and go lean and go lean and go yeah Yeah. lean forward embrace that free speed lean and go get the cadence going have faster twitch muscles than mark allen does uh on on the bike uh there are certainly triathletes who have zero fear bombing down a descent Uh, i for one am not one of them uh i remember before the olympic games in rio de janeiro uh, there was a magazine piece about Gwen Jorgensen specifically taking extra time to train her descending skills because she knew uh, she she was a tentative descender. Uh, she knew that wasn't a strength of hers. And, and the hilly course for the Olympics in Rio would require some good descending if she was going to walk away with a medal. So 
uh, for triathletes like Gwen, like myself, who know that their descending skills could be better. Uh, how should we impro- how should we approach improving our downhills on a bike? Coach Verby, what do you think? Wow. The, the biggest thing, a lot of it ends up for me, how I feel is a lot of it's mental, you know, just we're, we're scared to crash, right? We're scared to, scared to overdo it, come into a corner too hot. And, you know, the hard part is most of it is getting out there and doing it. And, you know, one thing is if, if you are racing, getting out there before the race and maybe doing that downhill section a couple times, you know, getting used to where the turns are, um, having, you know, going out with somebody who is a good descender and following their lines down the hill and learning, yeah. kind of watching what good they're idea. doing that, that helps out tremendously. Just, you know, how are they taking that corner? When are they breaking? Um, those two things. And again, just really just putting yourself in that, you know, people, I hate going downhill. You almost, again, you have to turn it over in your head. I love downhills, you know, try to pool school. <laughs> I love swimming, but you know, Hey, I love going downhill. Yeah. Yep. I, you know, I love going on hills and you just, you start having more fun. And with the more fun, you kind of get the speed going a little bit more and, you know, taking it at your pace to start out and trying to just keep gradually getting better at it. We were in St. George for 70.3 Worlds um, a year and a half ago, maybe at this point. And uh, one of the conversations, I wasn't there racing, I was there supporting. And uh, after the race, a lot of the trotted athletes that race 70.3 Worlds in St. George, uh, we we were out to eat, just uh, hearing their stories from the race day and just chit-chatting and having a good time. And uh, at, at one of the conversation points for the evening was, what was the fastest speed you hit going down any of the hills? Uh, and, and it was just fascinating hearing people's, uh, people's responses to that. Uh, the fastest I have hit myself personally was like 39 and a half miles per hour. Uh, that was uh, on a downhill in Greece and it was much higher than that for most of the people that did St. George that day. Uh, Verby, what's the fastest you've ever hit going down a descent in one of your races? Um, I want to say it's, I think it's like, it's either 57 or 61 on it. Um, it was and how did you on, feel at 57 to 61 you know it, i had perfect conditions i was i was on the big island doing an extreme race <clears throat> excuse me big island in hawaii doing an extreme race and forget mark probably knows the hill but where the satellites are up on top and it was dropping down towards uh kona so i i don't know what the hell but it was i had perfect conditions the road was perfectly black topped the i had a little bit of um the breeze was hitting me some tailwind there were no cars and i was just in arrow and just bombing in it i was thinking i couldn't get a better condition I, i felt perfectly at ease and i was i was passing the pace the the tr- pace car, not not a pace car, but you know the, the director's yeah, car yeah, yeah. was out there, and yeah, after the race, he's like, "I couldn't believe you were passing me on it." <laughs> you know, I was speeding; it was fifty five. I was going by him, and it was it was one of those no turns. It was smooth. It was at perfect conditions. I could probably never hit that again. But that day with that race, it was it was unbelievable. I never, when I'm riding my bike, I never question my bike. I never think my bike's going to fall apart. I never think about a mechanical happening until I'm going over 30 miles an hour on a bike going downhill. And then all of a sudden the thought creeps in the back of your head. Like what if my front wheel just fell off right now? What if the skewer isn't attached all the way? What like all these things start running through your head that never run through your head at any other speed in any other terrain. Uh, Mark, Mark for you, what was the fastest you ever hit in your career? I was probably in training in Boulder in Colorado and, you know, it was in the, in the fifth, low fifties, 50 miles an hour. But, um, and that scared the, scared the <laughs> right, right off my body. I swear to God, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm not a good descender. I'll be the first to admit okay. that. And, and I always tell people that I had exactly 10 good descents in my life and they were all in the Nice triathlon every wow. know, 10 year race there. <laughs> what timing? Um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, how do you get better descending for sure? It, it comes through practice. You, you know, it's not, 
it's just uh, something that you gain by doing it more and more. And especially if there's an aspect of descending that, that intimidates you, like for me, it wasn't necessarily going around curves. It was going fast. So I don't care how straight and perfect the road was once, like you said, you hit over a certain miles per hour, all of a sudden everything just feels like, Whoa, this is sketchy. Um, But if you are as, the recommendation, if you have friends who are really good at descending, follow their line. You'll see how it might differ from how you would, let's say, take a turn. I, you know, I tended to, to um, go into the tight part of the turn too early, you know, instead of sort of swinging wide and then kind of coming toward into the close part of the turn uh, late, later through the turn, you know. And if you come in early, then all of a sudden there's no, you, you tend to sort of swing out instead of pulling in another thing you can do is on that on that inside hand if you actually kind of put a little pressure on that inside um hand uh, on your handlebars that actually it it sort of like all of a sudden you feel like you're in a a groove that just wants to make that turn go as opposed to it sort of is counterintuitive you think i put my weight on that outside hand you put your outside leg down and weight on that outside leg But then if you kind of put a little bit of pressure on that inside handlebar, it'll actually it'll it'll sort of force the bike to just turn right through that curve. Those are interesting. Yeah. So anyway, but practice, practice, practice. That's the best way. When I was coaching kids, we would always tell them exactly what you said, Mark, in terms of the the outside leg is down. The inside leg is up. That that's also a, a pedal issue just to make sure your inside pedal doesn't hit the ground as you're leaning into that turn. I, I haven't heard the, the inside hand tip before. So I, I'm eager to go try that out myself. We would always tell the kids, um, wh- wherever your eyes are looking, that's where the bike is going to go. Yeah. And, and wh- wherever in the turn you're wanting to steer, if, if you're, if you're looking there. And so, so if you're scared and you're nervous and your eyes are darting around, well, guess what? You're going to have a wobbly turn. If, if you look where you want to go and, and, and you, you get, you get the inside leg up, you get the inside hand, like Mark's talking about weighted towards the inside of the curve and, and you look where you want to go the bike's going to go where you're looking. It's magical. It's amazing. And the more you do it, the better you're, and the more comfortable you get at it. Uh, I'm speaking for myself as well. I should practice these things. I, I remember when I first started riding, I remember the first couple of times I hit 20 miles an hour. I thought that just felt wildly <laughs> fast on a bike. And now 20 feels pretty, pretty mundane. And now 30 ish feels pretty wild and fast. So I imagine I just need to ride that a little bit more often and then maybe I'll get more comfortable. Anyway, um, Let's talk a little bit more about racing now. This is all very, very, very good notes for our training. Uh, I'm learning a lot. I know our folks at home are too. Um, when I chose my very first 70.3, that was really the first time I started scouting course maps and started looking at the elevation profiles in advance. Um, I did not want to get myself in over my head uh, knowing that I was training in, in you know, uh, not very hilly Dallas, um, particularly with climbs on the bike. What advice do you give your athletes when it comes to considering elevation gains and losses when considering a race? Jason, what do you think? <laughs> well, I'm the wrong person to ask that because I look for the exact opposite of you, <laughs> Not Andrew. for you. Not for you. You're an athlete, okay? <laughs> yeah. When they ask me that, I tell them the same thing, too. I'm like, I'm the wrong person to ask for that. I I, tend, I look specifically for the elevation. But what, what I try to tell them is, you know... You, if this is something you want to do, we can, we can get you ready for it. So if it's, you want to take a racecation to Greece or Nepal or Nice, France, and it's, you know, it's kind of holding you back looking at the elevation. I, I you know, I, I tell them, don't, if this is something you want, you got to go for it. You know, you're going to, you're going to love it. You know, we'll, we'll get you used to it. We'll get, you know, we'll get you strong. We'll get the legs ready for the climb. You know, if, if that's what you really want to do, I tell them, you know, don't hold back. You know, you can't hold back on your dreams or maybe later or this, like you got to go for it. That's just, that's how okay. I try to live it. Okay. So we should look at them and, and be, be aware of the elevation, not be freaked out by the elevation perhaps. Uh, Coach Mark, what do you think here? Well, there's a couple answers to that, uh, you know, and I, I always try to get my athletes to dot, to sort of hone in on what, what's their, what's the experience that, why, what's the purpose for going to a particular race? Is it Mm. because they are attracted to that place? Like, 
why wouldn't I want to race in Greece? You know, I don't care what the course is like. I want to go to Greece, you know, then that, then, you know, for sure. I don't care where you live. We're going to get you ready. But um, if you're not necessarily drawn to a particular course and you have three options, then I ask, you know, I suggest to people, okay, look at the terrain profile and pick the one that is best suited to your sort of natural abilities. So, and your, and your ability to relatively easily train for it properly. So if you live in Dallas and you, you just are not a good climber and you probably know that because of your body type, you're never going to be, you know, you're never going to win a hilltop race, then maybe pick a race that has more rolling terrain or, or relatively flat course profile so that your experience is good. You know, so again, there's, you know, two things that go into a race choice decision, or at least two things anyway. One is race the places that you're attracted to go to. And regardless of the terrain, as was said, we'll get you ready. And then the second is to go to a race where it suits your sort of natural talents and your natural likes. You just don't like hills? Then why would you go to Lanzarote? You know, that kind of a question. That Lanzarote is a race I would love to do. I've seen just pictures. I mean, it looks like you're racing on Mars, right? Uh, that that yeah. is one where the, the hills would probably terrify me. So I, maybe we should do a Trident Ambassador camp in Lanzarote. Just all go, I'll go uh, swim there and, and ride there and hang out with the pros that are there. I, I think the biggest challenge um, heading uphill in a race is managing our effort on those uphills. Um, it, it's really easy to raise that heart rate really, really fast when the uh, when the when the hills start coming up. Uh, what, what is the best, best approach here o on race day when we get to a hill? I mean, should we keep it kind of a steady and manageable effort and, and get up the thing in due time? Or should we work a little bit harder and try to get that hill behind us? Coach Mark. I always like to kind of have people test out what, what effort can they sustain uh, for that length of time manageable not, without blowing up, you know, and when you get in the race, you've got to kind of stick to that. So yes, it is a race and you probably can go a little bit harder than you were able to sustain in training. But if you have that knowledge base and you should have it through the experience of, you know, the workouts that you get in TriDot and also with the help of your coach figuring out, okay, I know that I can hold whatever, 160 beats a minute for 20 minutes on a climb without blowing up. But if I go up to 165, I'm going to blow. So when you're in the race, and you're at the bottom of the climb and you're already at 170, do you think that's smart? I don't think so. So <laughs> gain that experience in your training. And if you blow up in training, that's a low risk, high reward situation. It's like, ooh, okay, I see, I cannot do that. So when I'm in the race, I will not do that. That's what you wanna know. So I definitely wanna mention, um, as we're talking about race pacing here a little bit, uh, on, on the TriDot app, so all of our athletes listening, uh, if you are a TriDot athlete, uh, there obviously is RaceX within your TriDot. Um, that is your race pacing guide. It will tell you, you plug in the exact race course you're doing, it knows your fitness, and it's it's going to tell you what wattage, what paces, what intensities you should be holding on each of those uphills, each of those downhills. Uh, it, it's really cool. It's cool to see how far uh, RaceX has come because when I first came on board as a TriDot athlete, uh, RaceX didn't do all of that. What RaceX did at the time, it, it would tell you uh, for for short hills to hold this power. If it was a longer hill, hold this power. If you were on a flat, Jason's nodding his head because he remembers. Uh, and, and so you just kind of had to go off of the duration of the hill. You, you, you had to go by certain wattages. But now RaceX will tell you down to the watt uh, where you're at on course, uh, what wattage you should be holding. Um, so definitely make sure whatever races you have on the calendar this year to put them in the RaceX uh, and see what RaceX thinks you should be holding uh, on each corner of the course. Um, and, and if you're if you're not a trot-out athlete, you're not training with us, that's okay. We still love you. We're, we're glad you're listening. Um, you, you can actually hop on RaceX and, and without being a trot-out athlete and play around with it and, and just see what you think and see what it tells you to do for your races. It's a really, really cool tool, uh, racex.com. Uh, I'm curious for both of you. I, I didn't script this as a question, but as we're as we're talking hills, I'm curious to hear for Mark for you throughout your career and, and, and Verbi as you're racing now. Uh, do, do you guys on on your bike? Did you ever change your cassette uh, just to different gear ratios for courses that maybe had steeper hills versus being flatter? Mark, did you do that at all uh, when you were racing? Absolutely. There was a half Ironman in Saint Croix. 
and there was a climb called the beast. And, um, you know, I, I had heard that it was very, very, very steep and that you needed a little teeny, 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 weeny gear there. Otherwise you're going to be walking. <laughs> and so, you know, back then we, we actually didn't have as, um, broad of a range of options because of, you know, like my first race, a 10 speed actually was a bike with only 10 speeds. It wasn't 10 on the back. You know what I mean? So anyway, yeah. uh, the first year that I did that, I put a, a much easier gear on the back. And even with that, I barely made it up. And so the second time that I raced there, I um, put even an even easier gear. But for sure, if the, the course that you're going to be on is it, make sure that you, you've sort of asked around to make sure that you have enough, the right gearing for the terrain that you're going to be on. Absolutely. That's a big, big key to having a, a great experience on a, especially on a hilly race in a hilly race on the bike. Yeah. And definitely a great thing to consult with, uh, with your coach on or with your bike fitter uh, about potentially, I know when I did Greece, uh, I, I, I wish I would just had one or two easier gears. I was in my easiest gear and there was, it was an L shaped course. So it was just like uphill one way, downhill that way, uphill another way, downhill another way. And every single time on the uphills, I, I just was like, man, if I had one more easier gear, I, I was, I was 30, 40 Watts over what I was supposed to be holding for an hour at a time. Uh, just, just cause I didn't have one, one or two more easier gears. Um, Ver Verby for you, as, as you do these extreme challenges, man, are you switching your gear ratio out, uh, as you're just from race to race? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, it's weird because it, it's some it's some people seem to take like pride and I climbed this much and, you know, I only <laughs> had an 1128 on the back of my bike. And and I'm like, but why? You know, they make all these gears, make it easier on yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I exactly what you guys said in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It's use, use it's your gears. A, yeah, it's not a macho thing that you climbed it in the big the big ring up. I was I stayed in the big ring up front. Well, yeah, now you smoked your legs and have fun on that run. Yeah. But but no, yeah, I definitely changed mine. And if I think I can do it in an eleven thirty for the gearing in the back, well, I'm going to go to an eleven thirty two just to make sure I have those couple extra just in case. I'd rather I'd rather have them and not need them than the not have them there and need them. So what goes up on race day must come down on race day. That is just good science, good math. Uh, for both the run and the bike, on race day, we talked a little bit in training about just some tips for leaning forward, for letting the, the legs spin. But on race day, how can we optimize our speed on the downhills? Mark? Well, that goes to the gear selection. You know, like in Kona, when the guys are going 50, 55 miles an hour with that tailwind, if you can take advantage of that by being able to actually keep pressure on the pedals because you have a big enough gear, you'll, you can make up huge amounts of time. It may not be that important to you to make up a lot of time, but if you can make time on your other co competitors, you know, why not? But again, that comes down to having a big enough gear on a downhill to actually not spin out. Um, you know, I kind of, I kind of took the easy route and, and, you know, if it was a hilly course with a lot of some fast downhills, I just, I didn't worry too much about, um, having this massive gear. Cause I figured if I'm going that fast, I'm just going to cruise and drink something and eat something, take advantage of that. But that's my philosophy, but I'm also <laughs> an Ironman world champion. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's a cool thing, Mark. I, I'm actually, I'm glad that you, you said that, uh, w within RaceX, you, you can actually tell RaceX that this is kind of a, it's in the settings but you can tell RaceX at what speed you plan to stop pedaling going downhill. And, mm. and so if you're one of those guys or gals that, that yeah, you're going to optimize every single watt and you're going to bomb it on the downhill, you're going to keep pedaling, you're going to keep watts to the, to the, to the pedals. Like you, you can tell RaceX that, but if you're me and you know that once you're going 35 miles an hour, just because you're, you're scared, a scaredy cat, you're going to stop pedaling and just coast. You can tell it, Hey, when I get to 35 miles an hour, I'm going to stop pedaling. Uh, and it will optimize your wattage uh, accordingly. So really, really cool tool there. Uh, Verbi, for you, uh, what, what what are your thoughts on optimizing uh, the downhills on race day? Yeah, I'm, I'm the same with Mark. Um, you know, after I get to, and, and you too, Andrew, you know, once I get to a certain speed, um, you know, most of the time you're spinning out and there's no use to it. So my thoughts, the same thing, like, hey, let's 
let's just take this free speed. Let's stop spinning the legs. Let's get something to drink. Let's really concentrate on that breathing. Here's a chance to get the heart rate down and just kind of relax. It's going to be, you know, most of the stuff, you know, it's going to be a long day. If you're racing an Ironman or 70.3, let's take this little extra time, just get that heart rate down a little lower and get in the nutrition and, you know, take that little break. Do, do you have, do, do you try to descend an arrow as much as possible? Is, is there ever, is, is that something that we should be mindful of, whether we're having our hands on the base bars because we're, we're scaredy cats or trying to stay an arrow? Uh, is that really saving us that much time on, on downhills at all? Or for me, it is that an important thing for athletes to think about? For me, it depends, you know, it depends on the course for me. Um, you know, if I know it's, there's turns, I will, as soon as I start going a certain speed, my hands are out out of, you okay. know, I'm out of arrow. I'm on the hoods. You know, I got a finger, one finger on the brakes and I'm really just, you know, just in case something happens. If I know it's a long, steady hill, I'll stay down an arrow because, you know, I've got the X lab in between my arms. So I'll be sipping some nutrition and just kind of <laughs> taking my little nap, you know, just taking that little breather. But All right. you know, that's if I know it's, it's a, you know, a long straight shot and, you know, hoping nothing runs in front of me or comes out. So most of us, uh, myself included, on on race day, we're out there doing the best that we can do just for ourselves. I mean, the, the competition is not the primary factor, uh, but we do have listeners uh, out there uh, that are trying out podcast audience members, and, and, and the competition for them, it's for real. And when they're on course, they are racing. So, uh, Mark, you are very, very good at this, and, and, and Verbi, I imagine you've got some stories here as well, but... If, if it's race day, we're out on course, we're, we're racing people, how can we use the hills strategically while battling somebody on a hilly course? Mark Allen. Well, one thing to remember is that the hills are only part of the race. You know, when, when you're on a hilly course, the emphasis kind of seems to be placed on, oh, I'm going to hammer the hills and drop everybody. Well, You've got the downhills and you probably still have a lot of flat in there also. And then you've got this thing called the run that's going to come afterwards. Yes, so, you do. <laughs> you know, as, as, as much as it's easy to sort of focus attention on on climbs on a hilly course, uh, I think it's it, very, very important to, as we've all said, kind of stick to your race plan and not try to win the race because you gain 30 seconds on somebody on an uphill you don't want to burn all your matches on those uphills. So understand the watts you can hold, the power, the you know, the heart rate that you can hold without blowing up so that you can get off the bike fresh enough to have a really good run. And and to keep in mind, you know, uh you know, the the differences uh in, in a good or bad swim in anti-triathlon is are minimal. The difference between a good or bad bike starts to get a little bit larger difference between a good or bad run can be like in an Ironman, it can be an hour. So you want to, you want to conserve, you want to stay on it, but at the same time conserve enough energy so that when you get off that bike, you can still run. No, very well said. Uh, Verbi, anything you want to add here from your racing experience? No, I'm exactly what Mark said. I mean, I will, I have a tendency once in a while and it's more kind of away from racing if I'm in the hills with my friends and, and or I have done it once on a race day. Um, you know, if somebody's kind of back there and you, you keep seeing them back there and you know the course and it's a, you know, it might be a uphill with quite a bit of curves and I'll get, you know, and they're a couple hundred yards back, I'll get around a curve. And as soon as I know they can't see me, I will burn a match and I will hammer and I try to get away. <laughs> so I want them to get around that curve and me either be so far up. They're like, what did he do? Or I'm around the next curve already and they can't see me. And I'm just trying to like crush their soul going, where the heck did he go? And just try to get, I mean, I, it's morally, I mainly do that more when I'm out with my friends and we're in the hills and we just mess with each other. But that can really take the, you know, window to your sale if you're thinking you're gaining on someone else and you because granted i've had it done to me plenty of times myself where they do the same thing and i'll come around that corner and i'll be like they're gone and the, all that momentum i had i just kind of like oh all right i'm 
Well, they're gone now. I'm just going to drop down into a lower power zone, you know, the bottom of the power range I'm supposed to be at. And, you know, it, so you can kind of use that as your advantage just to kind of mess with their head. And it, it does take some, take some steam out of them. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. Well, hello there, everyone. I'm Vanessa, your average triathlete with elite level enthusiasm. I'm excited to have Jared Kaminsky joining me today from Cameron, North Carolina, where he teaches advanced placement environmental science at a high school. And he is also a USA swim coach and coaches with the TAC Titans in Cary, North Carolina. Jared started training and racing triathlon in 2019 and has since become a multiple Ironman finisher. He is an all-world athlete for 2023 and a 2023 USAT age group national qualifier. He began coaching with TriDot over a year ago and specializes in athletes who are beginner and intermediate, as well as anyone who wants to improve their swim. One thing that most people don't know about Jared is that he is actually a trained archaeologist. So tell us, Jared, what kind of archaeology did you specialize in? Hi, Vanessa. Um, I was trained in both, I guess, what you would call classical archaeology. So that would be Greek and Roman art and architecture um, and identification, as well as using uh, GIS and GPS and computer programming for modeling sites. Oh, cool. That's awesome. When you said archaeology, I mean, the typical thing that comes to someone's mind is dinosaurs, right? So <laughs> it's neat that you think right. classic yeah. is is not dinosaurs. <laughs> right, yeah. More of here's a open field with what looks like nothing in it. And we use uh, different instruments like ground penetrating radar and some other fancy toys to see underground. And if we see something that looks kind of cool, we open up a test trench and kind of see what we can find and try to tell the story of who used to be there beforehand. That is really fascinating. Um, so let's let's hear what tip you have for us today, Jared. Well, with a swimming background and being in the pool a lot and being around people who love swimming a lot, I think tip that I have today is learning how to do a flip turn while you are going through your swim workouts for TriDot. Um, it is a little intimidating if you've, if you've never done it before, but it does help you maintain speed in and out of your walls so that you can swim more efficiently. Um, you can hit your zones a little easier because you're not coming to a full stop in between each repeat. Um, it makes you faster. So your zones now get to become a little harder. And then during your open swim or your master's practice, you get to be one of the cool kids yeah. who knows how to do flip turns. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, so I once thought that it would be a good idea to learn how to flip turn. And I subsequently watched YouTube videos and practiced for a couple of weeks. And I was feeling really proud of myself for learning a new skill. And, and the lifeguard came over to me in the middle of my workout and said, are you okay? Looks like you're struggling in the water. And, uh, oh, no. <laughs> it was the last time I did a flip <laughs> turn and I was really embarrassed. It can be complicated. Um, I think the biggest complaint that that we get when people are learning how to do it is, is water going up your nose. Yeah. Um, the easiest, the easiest solution to that is actually exhaling as you rotate and as you flip. Um, and then some people will say that they feel like it's taking them longer to do a flip turn than to, to touch and go. Mm -hmm. If you are able to find some videos through speedo, they've got some great videos on YouTube on step-by-step and the mistake some people make is they'll flip into the wall mm -hmm. and then they'll rotate onto their stomach underwater and then they'll push off. Um, if we're executing a flip turn correctly, we should flip into the wall. Feet are going to contact with us towards our back and we're actually going to push off on our back and then rotate onto our stomach as they're coming out of that turn underwater. Right. I think, I think that's the part for me anyways where I went totally wrong because – I was so uncomfortable being on my back and pushing off the wall that I would f turn before my feet touched the wall and then push on my front. So that's, that's, uh, something that I definitely need to work on. Um, so what do you have like a couple of little things for the best advice that you could tell someone to get started? Like the first step that, or first two steps that someone could do to, to give this a try. So, yeah. So the first thing that we always have people who are learning to do it is just float out in the middle of the pool, um, float on the surface, hands 
hands down at your side and just do a somersault. Just get comfortable doing a complete somersault all the way back up to the surface and do that over and over. Um, then the second thing that we have them do is we'll then arms at our side and we'll have them kick towards the wall. And when they feel they're close enough to the wall, they'll flip and just stick their feet to the wall. Once you get comfortable doing that, then it's flip, stick and push off on your back. And then it's push and rotate. And then you can try swimming into the wall from there. Um, shocking to a lot of people who aren't really into swimming too much is that marking on the bottom of the pool that terminates at a T mm -hmm. at each end is a set distance from the wall. Um, we usually have everybody, when your eyes get directly over that T part, you've got about one stroke that you should be taking and then initiating your flip turn from there. Aha. That sounds like the, the key to success right there. <laughs> yeah. That, that marking onto the bottom of the pool is, is there for a reason. It's not just to keep you going straight. It's to let you know your distance from the wall to help you with your turns. Well, you learn something new every day. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me on the cool down, Jared. That was a great tip and I can't wait to start flip turning in the water. Absolutely. Good luck. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.